2: Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. Jay.
3: Hey guys, Dr. Santosh here, your neighborhood-friendly pediatric infectious disease doctor and researcher.
4: Hi, this is Jean Biu, Dr. Biu, the empress of the Encephalon, also your resident neurovirologist.
2: Oh, her title's so much cooler than ours. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? We have our own science and medical Avengers culminating in this Infinity podcast. <laughs> Please don't sue us, Marvel. I love you guys.
3: Well, someone's at the door in a purple suit.
2: I'm getting real Nick Fury. Oh, what if he appeared in the next Fast and Furious movie?
3: Then the Fast and the Nick Furious. He'd just sit there like really, really still the whole time. Like it would be the weirdest movie.
2: It would. Awkward. <laughs> but you guys, it is once again time for our bi-weekly, bi-monthly. I still don't know which one I'm supposed to say, but we do two of them a month. Time for another Journal Club.
3: Yay! Hey, journal
2: club, And this time having superheroes and technology and all sorts of fun stuff on the mind, I figured we would talk a little bit about biohacking and Neolution, for those of you who like Orphan Black.
3: Oh, I thought you were going to say, because of Avengers and everything, you were going to talk about horrific deaths.
2: So mm-hmm. if I try and give spoilers for Avengers with it only having been out a week, the only horrific death will be mine, as... Our listeners descend upon me in mass.
4: That would not be a wise decision.
2: All I will say is, it's fantastic. Go see it. And there is an Easter egg of uh, Tobias Funke is hidden in the movie. Look for him.
4: Oh, from Arrested Development? You just piqued my uh, my interest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A
3: That's the one. I don't know if, because, you know, we don't know all of our audience, but I, I don't know how likely it is that there are a bunch of like science and medicine loving nerds who also like comic books.
2: <laughs> I know it's a stretch, <laughs> but I care about every small segment of our listening population. And to start with this week's theme of neolution and technology and biohacking, I'm going to just briefly talk, without spoilers, about one of the characters in Infinity War. And that, of course, is Vision. Now, Santosh, do you know who Vision is in the comic universe?
3: Sure. He's he's like Iron Man's uh, voice suit, but come to life.
2: Uh, Well, okay. Technically, yes. He's an android animated by the Mind Stone. He gets his humanity from a magic rock. But... (laughs) In our first story of the evening, scientists have finally just developed a computer made out of living human cells, and I can't possibly see how that could go wrong. Isn't
3: this how Skynet was
2: made? Well, in good anti-Skynet and more vision-like news, the geniuses behind the first computer of human cells actually come out of Zurich, and they make fantastic clockwork-based things, so I'm less worried.
3: (laughs) I mean, with like a very rigid sense of design and, and purpose. So,
4: I mean, people from Switzerland also make excellent chocolate. So, I don't know. Maybe uh, it's not all bad.
2: Mm, chocolate cyborg. <laughs> so, in a recent paper from the journal Nature Methods, a team of researchers from the University of Basel, Basel? Zurich. (laughs) Basel. Zurich. Basel
4: and Zurich are not the same city, just so you know, Mr. Geography Man.
2: (laughs) The University of Basel... Researchers made nine groups of cells arrayed in a 3D lattice structure, a tesseract, if you will, and each cell module or computational node was created to react to different chemicals similar to how electrical inputs are used in normal computers. But this way, we could use chemical signaling and hormone signaling like in the brains. And now I'm going to shoot it back to our neurologist to explain how computers in the brain work.
4: Oh, Jesus. I didn't (laughs) read this, so I don't know how computers in the brain work. What are you talking about? That's way too complex.
2: Yeah, that's what happens when you throw me under the bus with geography. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have a computer and you remove the electrical wiring and signaling and replace it with chemicals and hormones, you basically have a living computer that responds to incoming data and can process using logic gates. Uh, Logic gates being simple linking words such as and, not, or, or.
4: That's very interesting. I mean, that's a lot, you know, at least the electrical impulses and the hormonal impulses and things like that are very similar to what happens in the brain.
3: This is quite rudimentary, as I can say. So the, the number of decisions that this little, well, I, I, I don't know that I would call it a brain
2: yet. Um, At best, it's maybe one of those TI 82 yeah, graphing I, I, calculators.
3: <laughs> I mean, this oh. is uh, basically, I, I think I agree with you, Josh. You're basically taking metal circuitry and replacing the electrodes with cells. And so you're doing cell to cell signaling where they can actually communicate with one another um, sitting in this little culture. And based on like a couple of signals, they can talk to each other down a little bit of an algorithmic tree so that they can make like a single endpoint decision based on, you know, whatever chemicals they're bathed in at that time. They'll come to like a single conclusion. So the number of available um, outputs, so the, the end decisions that they can make are quite, um, it's quite limited but it's kind of a start of what like a full brain can do.
2: And this is not the first time things like this have come up, but on this scale, it is, this is for example, very small versions of these are how you turn genes on and off to do things like make jellyfish glow. The difference being that the groups of cells, because it's nine groups of cells, they can be rearranged in different ways to address thousands of different kinds of computations. And one of the possible applications for this when it is more fully developed is the, going to be the ability to create devices that can monitor people's health at a cellular level, whether that's blood sugar, heart rate, oxygenation. Um, it could let our own body develop or recognize the development of illnesses faster than ever before and probably send it to our smartphones <laughs> because that's the or- world we live in now.
4: I mean, already we use our smartphones for, you know, like, or at least the smartwatch can now detect arrhythmias and things like that. I mean, we live in a very interesting world.
2: And even expanding out into the realms of science fiction, if we can start building what are effectively neural networks, man-made biological neural networks, this could, in a hypothetical world, lead to treatments for Alzheimer's, uh, could lead to a true artificial pancreas where we just you know insult a, yeah. insert a, insult tiny, little a tiny little brain and say hey <laughs> in you know we insult a tiny little brain come on you stupid you sugar brain bacon is
4: too <laughs> small to make
3: the <laughs> <laughs> right moving on no I, I, so, I thought this was super cool. Um, they figured out a couple of really um rudimentary things. Um, for instance they weren't sure if the speed and efficiency of the communication would be important with these cells clustered in a chemical bath. Would it be important if the cells were really close to each other or could you introduce some distance? They solved that issue with this particular thing. Um, And then, you know, the other end goal of this was to just express a few uh, fluorescent proteins um, the red one, of course, is called M Cherry because that's you know that's what we do as scientists is we name things.
2: It
4: took a like lot that. of brain power to come up with that one for sure.
2: Not even cool lime like you had red cherry. <laughs> they couldn't give it no, just no, like a starburst no like flavor. There's actually, a new one <laughs>
3: called. M- but yeah, there's another one uh, called Citrine, which has you know kind of like an orangey yellow. Yeah, and then uh, they were able nice. to uh, get some secreted reporter, reporter proteins as well. So. You know, you've got a 3D cell culture that's able to take in some chemical inputs and output some, you know, chemical signal in response, Um, either the citrine or the M-cherry or one of the other uh, chemical signals. So I, I know that we'd love to think of ourselves and our brains as like amazing, transcendent things. But in the end, this is really what any computer or even if it's an organic computer does input output
2: so let's move on to our next story now this is one that i thought was pretty interesting because it's been addressed several times in sci-fi before certainly i think you're both familiar with the concept of necrotizing fasciitis or as they love to refer to it in the movies
4: flesh eating bacteria creepy stuff you know in real life as well as uh, conceptually, I, I for sure.
2: Have either of you ever had a chance to see yes, this in, in action?
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty nasty.
2: So what's the speed of it when when they say, like, do you actually see it devoured as it so often is in the movies where people dissolve Indiana Jones style melting from the face up?
4: No, no, no. I mean, it it can be quite rapid when when you think about um, bacterial infections, but I would say it's more about, you know, like, say hours or something like that, you know, which is very, very fast uh, when it comes to destructive bacterial infections? Yeah, I don't know. So what would you say, a, to Um
3: The skin is actually quite strong and remarkably resistant to a lot of the processes that go on underneath. So the fasciitis that we see is actually along the fascial planes, which is these, you know, the connective tissue planes in between like muscles and fat, right? So you actually don't see the disease on the surface of the skin until it's way too late. Like if you see that there, you're in trouble. But um, what I've seen more than the, the flesh eating is the person will have the flesh eating, but they'll also sometimes get septic. So you'll see deterioration of their yeah. overall condition a lot quicker. So they'll, you know, lose consciousness and they'll have a high fever and breathe rapidly because, um, you know, they'll, have trouble coordinating their breathing. So you'll actually see an overall deterioration a lot quicker than, you know, the, their flesh melting away from their bones. Um, yeah. Clostridium is pretty strong, but it's not the arc of the
2: covenant. There's more than one kind of bacteria that can <laughs> eat your flesh off your bones. That's- you guys.
4: Absolutely.
2: Of, <laughs> of course, when you do have a flesh eating bacteria condition, it can go as we've said very quickly. So one particular case report of a patient, uh, a Miss Kristen Lipinski in Arizona had a pretty severe form of this that had spread way faster. And this is usually something that needs to be addressed surgically. You kind of have to cut away that tissue as it's being eaten and while also treating it with antibiotics. Now, normally... Following this kind of surgical spread, you imagine if a bunch of your flesh has been eaten, you have to pull new flesh from somewhere, right? Large skin wounds are patched up most of the time using skin grafts from another part of the body. But in this patient, she had already lost a third of her skin. There's not really
3: anywhere to pull God. from. So we need a graft from somewhere else. Or do you?
2: <laughs>
4: well why don't you tell us more about this that josh conc-
2: so while skin grafts are an <laughs> essential tool for treating severe burns avita medical has developed a compact kit that grows replacement skin that can be sprayed on that's right you can spray on new skin like a tan <laughs>
3: this sounds like something that should be on uh, you know made for tv commercials <laughs>
4: It it kind of reminds me, yeah, exactly. Or it kind of reminds me of like, uh, did you ever oh, see that uh, yes, Death oh, Becomes I love Her? You that know, movie. somehow somehow it keeps you young, you know. Spray on new cells. Spray um. it on,
3: and then like you have the black and yeah. white with like the bumbling surgeon <laughs> in the background. Uh, don't you hate trying to find skin to graft?
2: Suffer from repeated right. bouts of flesh eating bacteria, but unwilling to give up travel to exotic destinations. <laughs> Can't seem to find worry <laughs> no. seem to find a surgeon who can pull skin from out of thin air. Well, good news. Or from your butt.
3: Yeah. Or from your butt. <laughs> that was one of my favorite episodes of Scrubs, where uh, Turk was going to have the mole taken off. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I can, I can replace some of the skin oh, with some right. skin from your upper thigh." Oh, we could call you butt face.
2: (laughs) Getting back to the science of this delightfully infomercial ready product. Instead of growing patches of skin that can be draped over severely burned areas, this resell kit, uh, resell as in Uh C-E-L-L, not, it takes a small sample of the patient's skin keratinocytes and melanocytes and it quickly reproduces them in a special solution. So growing actual pieces of skin in a lab can take weeks, but the resale kit only needs about half an hour to produce enough cells to cover an area 80 times as large as the original sample. that
4: is actually really fast. And then (laughs) you get
2: to use a special little nozzle like a tiny fire hose or creme brulee torch (laughs) to spray the new cells over the burn area, and they continue to grow and multiply using the patient as an incubator.
3: (laughs) I mean, we knew that this was coming somehow, because we saw it on Star Trek. I'm completely convinced that everything we see on Star Trek The Next Generation is going to become real eventually. But I didn't think it would be so fast because there's a lot to overcome when you're kind of separating the skin and trying to aerosolize it this way rather than taking a sheet of skin cells, which we know how to do. And move it over. It
2: still requires FDA approval for experimental treatments. It's not quite available. Resell can't be resold <laughs> just yet.
4: And if I if I'm not mistaken, they used it in combination of a me- with a meshed autograft, so basically right. some some of her own skin and then pierced with small holes yeah. to make it over, spread it over a large area. So it's kind of like it's not just the spray on cells. It is actually in combination with her yeah. own, her yeah, own skin. Yeah, so she does still have
2: a little bit of skin saran yeah, wrap. You know. <laughs> you
4: <seen>
3: <laughs> As follow, of, by the way, the skin stretching, it's really cool.
4: I haven't seen the skin stretching. I've certainly seen some skin oh, grafts, but not.
2: I not imagine skin it's like Mr. Fantastic se, yeah. <laughs> in uh, the Fantastic Four. No,
3: no. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's two just like to do it's skin just, stretching yeah. that I know of really well. One is on body, and other is, you know, in the in the lab. So on body, you actually, for instance, mm-hmm. if you need to do a graft for the future and you know it's coming and you have time. Come on, Marty. We got a graft
2: <laughs> to the future.
3: You go 88 miles <laughs> an hour. <laughs> you, you actually insert a balloon. Yes. Usually uh, right uh, under the skin that overlies the scapula in the back. And then you slowly inflate the balloon so that the skin stretches over it and you have excess like flappy skin. And then you can remove the balloon, uh, and then you cut off the extra skin, you sew the edges together, and now you have a skin flap. So that's the that's the way to do that on the body. Yeah. Off the body, you take a patch of skin, you, you perforate it, just like you said, and then you stretch it across what essentially looks like a giant screen door, like what you have in your backyard, like, you know, the sliding screen door. <laughs> And you stretch it over that slowly with a little bit of tension um, and you add, uh, you know, some media and stuff so it can grow. And the skin cells will actually like stretch out and divide with the tension. Um, But the problem with the second approach is that like it is lab grown. You do have the chance Mm -hmm. of it like tearing, ripping because you're trying to get that to expand as fast.
2: I still like the idea that you can just mist and desist.
3: Oh, you came up with it. They're going to give you a call pretty soon. It's like, oh, we got the sales
2: pitch. I have been saying for years scientists are not great at naming things. Give me a chance, guys. Go <laughs> Let's go on to our next story, which is is neat. It, it doesn't sound that impressive initially, but it gets a lot cooler if you do a deep dive. And I'm going to ask you guys by seeing first, how much do you remember – about the abcs of dermatology and mole identification
4: c was color for sure c was color and i guess yeah. a is area so like maybe maybe the size of the mole like if, if the size of a mole grows and it's 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 a uh, kind of thought to be not so not a borders. good portent we'll say b borders, borders. okay it's it's the color and the the borders ah borders yes So basically, if the borders of a mole like become irregular or you know change, that's not great. And then if the color changes
2: as well, you are spot on. And then D for depth is it raised off the skin? So any and all of these changes can indicate a cancerous mole, but the only thing it can indicate is skin cancer. Meaning that particular mole may be the cancer. But what if I present to you as long as I'm getting my infomercial career ready if this whole (laughs) medicine thing doesn't work out. But what if more than one kind of cancer could be detected from mere changes in your skin? Imagine, my friends, if the slightest change in a freckle, those beauty marks seen... On men and women of fair complexion everywhere, could tell you if a cancer was lurking deep within I'd your say bowels.
3: You've hit your head on several pieces of rebar, sir.
4: I'd say too good <laughs> well, to be good true. news,
2: <laughs> because in our next story, scientists have made an implant made of genetically engineered cells that's designed to detect and make people aware of developing breast prostate and colon cancers when they're only a few millimeters no. in size the cancers i mean not the freckle because should a tumor develop a visible mole oh, will appear mold. on the skin the research team working with martin uh, okay you know what i'm gonna screw it up but that's okay <laughs> martin Fusenager. Fusenager. and now the rest of this Article is going to be read as Arnold Schwarzenegger. So Martin Fussenegger of the Swiss no, you're, Federal you're Institute Jean-Claude of Technology in Zurich. I don't have a Jean Claude Van Damme, and you can't tell me a scientist's name is Fussenegger <laughs> and then make me do a Jean Claude oh, Van Damme. Swiss,
3: not German Swiss.
4: <laughs> yeah. he's exactly i'm like you can't yeah I don't know.
2: van it santosh <laughs>
4: <That> <laughs> you brought that up just this so, so that so that josh could say that i swear
2: swiss federal institute of technology in zurich genetically altered human skin cells that would become darker in color that when exposed to rising calcium levels which often is associated with an increase in these particular kinds of tumors breast Prostate and colon, and this came out in the journal Science Translational Medicine. So it would create a genetic network of biotechnologies integrated into human cells, which would be an early warning system.
4: I was going to say, I, I think it's a pretty cool idea for sure, but um, but I'm wondering if the elevation in calcium levels is really actually truly is sensitive enough to catch cancers early, because as I understand it. Breast cancer is definitely, um, you know, associated with an elevated calcium level. I mean, from what I remember, because again, I'm a neurologist. I'm not an oncologist. I haven't been done oncology in some years. But what I remember, maybe you guys know better than I do, but but what I what I remember is that the breast cancer and elevation in um and calcium was more related to whenever the breast cancer was metastatic. Wow. Which to me is kind of like, well, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't mammography be a better idea to catch a cancer earlier before it becomes metastatic than a more well? Part of this is know. that
2: it's the My cancer fault. cells that, that are constantly dividing and producing things like these. So if you can detect a change in calcium levels early enough, we only tend to notice it with metastasis because at that point you have it all over the body making mass production to a point where even we can't notice. But the theory behind this implant is if calcium levels exceed a particular threshold value over a long period of time. So it's not just a single spike. You can't, you know, have a glass of milk and, uh, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden make freckles appear. Um, Or can you? (laughs) Hmm. No, 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 you can't. (laughs) So, But once you once the calcium exceeds this time threshold, a signal cascade is triggered that initiates production of melanin in these genetically modified cells that then forms a brown mole visible to the naked eye. So this would happen before cancer becomes detectable through conventional diagnosis. So this may say, hey, you have a rise in your calcium. And if we know you're already genetically predisposed, those would be an ideal target for these implants. And then that may prompt you to go get a mammography or a colonoscopy or one of these other more accurate screening tests. Earlier or to keep a much closer eye. So this is meant to give you an early warning system to then go follow up with your doctor, not to necessarily detect it with one hundred percent sensitivity.
4: Yes. So it's quite cool, but probably I'm guessing maybe you wouldn't forego your your usual uh, health routine, you know, routine health screenings. Uh, no, no, no. This, this would yet. be
2: a, addition, not a replacement. The disadvantage gotcha. of this is the service life of such an implant like any nano or biotechnology is limited as uh, dr Fusenager has found in the literature encapsulated living cells last for about a year then you have to be back according to other studies they must be inactivated or replaced he definitely doesn't no, sound no. like that you guys but i literally <laughs> he cannot stop sounding myself
3: sounding like that he's going to be like, oh dude you do a great Fusenager. I love it.
2: <laughs> so far, this has only been tested on mouse models and pig skin, and yeah. it did function reliably during these tests where once the calcium hit the threshold that had been determined and programmed in, the moles appeared. But we still have a pretty long way to go before testing it on humans yeah. and creating these biomedical so tattoos. This is a
3: great little proof of concept that you could That's use, ex- a, cool. in this case, a calcium signal. And they really set a high threshold for this, by the way. They set a threshold of you know you have calcium circulating you know at baseline
0: and it- head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring paul Mescal and andrew scott stream the new hulu original limited series we were the lucky ones with joey king and logan lerman and don't forget about gray's anatomy Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
3: Triggers various intracellular processes. Um, They were looking for a calcium spike um, over a long period of time that was 20,000 times what would normally be circulating in these cells to... Trigger pigmentation mm-hmm. in these cells, so they were basically trying to say, "Hey, can we get these cells to a be accepted by the donor in this or the the acceptor? I guess the recipient in this case the mouse. Um, B, can we then set off this cascade by putting in you know calcium producing breast cancer cells or or colon cancer cells into the mouse model?" Um, and, and I think they answered that question really well. Um, it got me thinking because, you know, you've got calcium here as a signaler. What if you just replaced the signal, right, for pigmentation? So if you had a very specific signal for breast cancer, for ovarian cancer, colon, testicular, whatever it is, then you could actually put in a mole for whatever you wanted. It didn't necessarily have to be calcium.
2: So you can use this to detect hormonal changes or neurodegenerative diseases. There's going to be a wide range of applications once all the kinks awesome. get hammered out. But The next topic that we're going to talk about is it's actually a really interesting study. But new scientist who I found the original article in just has such a goofy Title for it because of course the the answer the inherent answer is of course they can so electrodes electrodes fitted behind your ear can make you walk faster because of course they can how do I get someone to walk faster I shock them on their head
4: <laughs> it sounds like a torture a medieval torture device is what I meant to say but
2: this is actually. This has been around for at least the last 10 to 12 years. And have you guys seen the virtual reality Mm -hmm, headsets? Have you had a chance to try them out these days?
3: I haven't tried good VR in a
4: very, very long time. I've seen them, but I haven't tried them.
2: The technology has advanced a lot from the (laughs) movies we grew up watching in the 80s. They do make you feel like you are in and surrounded by the area and the reason virtual reality works right now is because we tend to trust our eyes above everything what you can see is pretty much infinite but what you can feel is not like you'll feel like you're sitting on your couch not zooming through space or rocking on a boat but what if virtual reality could also make you could affect your sense of balance and not make you dizzy and fall over but actually make you feel as if you were moving through whatever environment. And that's what this study is actually about. It's a procedure known as galvanic vestibular stimulation. And that's because the vestibular system is a sense that relies on the movement of fluid and tiny bones in your ears to help you keep your balance. So before I go into how it's being used in virtual reality today, I will tell you, this has been around For years and years and years. Uh, Galvanic vestibular stimulation is so old fashioned that in 1790, in 1790, (laughs) Alessandro (laughs) Volta, yeah, the Volta who invented the battery, stuck the electrodes of his newly invented battery into his ears.
4: (laughs) Oh, my God. Because
2: science.
3: No, no. This this is very like a,
4: much. You like, know, like you know, sounds like what a toddler <laughs> would do.
3: To you know, nowadays. But okay, I, I wonder, like like sitting there, like staring at it, and just like I wonder. No, no. I that would be stupid. No,
2: I mean he just he just invented this, and what better use than to stick it in his ear? So. At that point, he felt an explosion in his head, heard oh the sound God. of boiling tenacious matter and promptly passed out because the battery he would have produced at the time about 30 yeah. volts.
4: Not what I want to place yeah, in my ears. No, the nine uh, volt batteries you you've Frank, seen
2: yeah. are like pretty no, big. I'm just... Imagine 30 volts and do not try this at home. Moving a little bit beyond Volta's interesting application of his technology, using lower voltages and putting electrodes instead of straight up battery anodes on your ears. Researchers can actually steer people using galvanic stimulation, or we'll call it GVS. You can be steered like a remote control. If you feel your head rolling to the right, Whoa. you jerk to the left to compensate. It looks pretty dang eerie. And there were a study uh, published in Nature. It's This is an older study that I looked up, but they have been doing newer ones. In Sydney, Australia, using electric currents applied just behind the walker's ears would help people with balance disorders compensate for those disorders and walk normally. So researchers could steer around these people <laughs> who had balance disorders like tiny little RC cars. It's
3: so sad. well, you know, we've seen this already. In That's crazy. Sets, it's like right? like
4: where zombies. Can, like, tell the insect <laughs> where to go. I mean, you can actually even, by, with oh. using magnoelectricity, uh, steer clarity. zebrafish yeah. in certain, you know, circles, it, it you know, like, and make them reverse if you right, reverse right. The, I mean, you know, fair, uh, the, you know, the magnetic field. Um, these
3: guys don't have to keep walking. Yeah, just based on their <laughs> vestibular system. If they're like, I want to stop, but you know, the the operator says, okay, go left. Well, they might lean to the left, but they're like, No, I, I wanna sit down.
4: <laughs> but they're still gonna wanna their head is gonna wanna move to the left. That's the thing. So part of the vestibular system is to tell you where your head is in in uh you know, in in uh 3D space as well. So if you actually have an electrical impulse to one of your vestibular yeah. uh, you know, apparatus, the then it's going to make your head want that, to move. And if you don't, then it's going to make you feel feeling, nauseous. You I, that's exactly what I'm guessing.
3: What you need to alleviate that.
2: Yeah, because when your eyes and your ears are sending you two different signals about your head's position in the world, that's really what causes most vertigo, dizziness, seasickness, things like that. Um, the reason behind that disconnect is what wasn't really well understood in a lot of these earlier studies.
4: Until Volta, like, you know, uh, zapped right? his ears, you know. Well, then in, no.
2: <laughs> in 2006, the Australians were steering people around uh, without making them lose their balance on normal people, but there was just one snag. If you want to be guided, you'd have to be blindfolded.
4: Well, that makes sense because then you don't have the disconnect between what your eyes are telling your your head, your brain and what your ears or your vestibular system is telling your brain. So yeah, and that's because that
2: the electrical signals sent sense. from these devices would have the net effect of rotating your head around mm-hmm. an axis running from the back through the nose. So when you're upright, it makes you feel like your head is swaying to one side. <laughs> so you're kind of giving these gentle little electric cattle prods at very low doses <laughs> to say,
4: turn, turn to the left. <laughs> this is very pleasant promise. So
2: this could help with balance implants. In again, people who do suffer from chronic ataxia, which is well, I'll let the neurologist explain just who this would be useful in.
4: Sure. Um. So I would, you know, there are certain people who have issues with their vestibular system. So, for example, I've recently seen a person who had a really bad mening uh, meningoencephalitis, or basically meningitis caused by a fungal disorder that basically knocked out lots of the cranial nerves. Cranial nerves are things that affect the vision, the taste, the hearing, the way your your eyes move, and so on, as well as the vestibular system. And this guy, he lost hearing in both of his ears, but he also lost his sense of of movement in the world because that particular disease knocked out the eighth cranial nerve, which um, or like probably both branches of the eighth cranial nerve, one being for hearing, one being for the vestibular system. So for this guy, this would be perfect because then he wouldn't be stumbling all over the place. He would have a much better idea of how to walk, you know, kind of more normally, see if he closes his eyes, he's going to fall over because his body doesn't know where it is in space because his vestibular system is not there. Other people have, you know, uh, chronic vertigo because they've had a viral infection or something like that that damaged the vestibular nerve and causes issues. Other people may have brainstem disorders, strokes or multiple sclerosis that can affect um, parts of the vestibular system as well. Although this is a little bit harder to define because the brain has lots of redundancy in certain ways may help people feel, you know, kind of heal over time. But if your vestibular nerve is, is totally knocked out, then that's a much harder thing to regenerate and to, to kind of get to feeling Yeah, and especially normal, as people I get guess, older you
2: know. and not the perfect way to think about it, but the way I describe it is older people, that fluid in their inner ear kind of dries up, their ears become more brittle. So older people are more likely to lose balance for a variety of reasons. It's not an exact explanation of what's happening, but it's a much easier way to conceptualize it. Sure.
4: And there are, there are actually what you're talking about, the, the fluid building up in the inner ear, there are cert- certain uh, disorders that can lead to that. I mean, dizziness is a very complex, whenever I say dizziness and vertigo, there are different aspects of the brain and the, um, and the nervous system that can lead to this. Some of them are Related to you know the inner ear in particular, some of them related to the auditory. Uh, I'm sorry, the vestibular uh, system. Some of them are related to the cerebellum, and so um, issues related to the cerebellum may be a little bit harder to treat with this particular kind of technology. But but maybe it's possible. But I would say that people who have um, issues per- in particular with the vestibular system, so inner ear issues or vestibular nerve issues. Probably it would be an excellent opportunity for some, you know, now, like, one oh, sorry, it would other be interesting study I just
2: stumbled across, but I couldn't find a lot on is they're also looking into using this GVS stimulation, this galvanic vestibular stimulation to help treat people with prosopagnosia or face blindness. Um, such as the man who mistook his wife for a hat.
4: Well, that is interesting. And how, how do they say so that the, the a Galvanic stimulation... I could only find the agnesia.
2: abstract, not the full paper. But they noted that when, when participants were shown both famous and non-famous faces presented in an upright or inverted orientation, people who had a more difficult time just in general remembering faces or placing the face when they then had these electrodes and GVS applied to them during that initial period, they noted a statistically yeah, significant no. improvement in <laughs> face recall. Really so whether or not it current. could completely um, is, <laughs> stop people from being unable to recognize faces at all is questionable, um, is questionable but to um, give you a better yeah. ability to remember faces, yeah, sure. No. But again, that also comes it's back to if I shock you Dutch. enough times, you'll say Google anything Google to make while. me stop.
3: no. no. <laughs> We should say this is a really low current. Um this is <laughs> this isn't thirty volts going through your brain. You were talking and while Jean was talking, because I was so curious because you said volta. Um I I just found, you know, this plastic paper from Boss and Jonkies in the nineteen sixties <clears throat> that actually refers to Percatch.
4: Well, that's pretty
3: eighteen twenties who said that there's a galvanic current. And for those who are curious, a galvanic current is an electrical current that comes from a chemical reaction. So basically what our neurons do regularly. So there's a galvanic current flowing through the head that affects equilibrium. And I guess, yeah, as far back as 1960s is the first paper I saw where people were hooking up electrodes not to send a current through there, but to actually read the galvanic current to actually help diagnose vertigo and nystagmus. And I was like, it's so cool. So if you had a stibular problem, you could just hook it up behind the ear and you could read these electroencephalograms essentially.
2: And galvanization or just running electricity through the body yeah. to diagnose or treat things in general was very popular around the time that Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. And if only we all had neck bolts, but now we can have ear electrodes. So, you know, um, but that's that's it for that story. Let's move on to our, our last story, which is not a full study, but something that I think is super cool. Um, and that's found in the magazine futurism because a woman who lost her arm over 20 years ago has received the first portable bionic hands, which there's lots of different prosthetics and we've covered them a few times and control of them is getting even better. But through a series of tiny electrodes and sophisticated sensors, this bionic hand has restored her sense of touch robot hands that can feel you guys.
3: This has been a development for a really long time. The idea is that if you can get a sense of touch, not necessarily to feel, you know, that something is smooth or rough or something like that, but the simple idea that you can grip variable strength, right? So you can delicately pick up an egg, for instance, and feel how much strength you need in order to grip that versus how much strength you'd need to pick up like a barbell.
2: So it's still, it's a very gross sensation, not gross as in disgusting, but gross as in you don't have yeah you can distinguish between a hard, soft or medium object uh, correctly describe a general size and shape of an object like a baseball versus a tangerine um, and just by carrying a small computer and a backpack uh, robot hands can touch so
3: the the hand isn't in the backpack <laughs> the the electronics yeah the <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, the electronics and the little sensors feed into a brain, like a, a little uh, a set of electronics in the backpack that then relay, uh, I think, to you, to your brain. Yeah, so that you get a sense of touch. Yeah, absolutely. Even looking <laughs> hand. Well, this one does not look you.
4: You've got like, like it's like uh, Mr. Uh, it, you know, that, just like uh, on your shoulder.
2: You know, and- so, And that brings us back to if robots can feel like Vision in Avengers Infinity War, who knows where we could go from there? We could hack ourselves straight into becoming androids versus cyborgs.
4: Yeah, I mean, or or it's like really like, you know, like, you know, um, Luke Skywalker, you know, that's... Yeah, a human-looking
3: hand. Well, this one does not look
2: human. Oh, yeah, the Luke hand. A human-looking hand? Uh...
3: That, uh, you know, and and he's there, he's being fitted with his prosthesis. And for the final test, before the robot closes up the panel, it pokes his fingers and he goes, ah, ah, you know, and then he closes up the panel and then it just looks like a regular hand. Yeah, I thought it was amazing that the electrochemical signals that it takes, just that, that are contained in our arm, right? If you have your own hand and your own arm, All of the machinery is in your arm to feel temperature, to feel pressure, size, and then go and relay up to your brain. We needed a backpack's worth of material (laughs) to take that sensory information just for general size and feel, not even those specifics. And relay that you needed a backpack's worth of electronics to then relay to nerves in the upper arm so that you could recognize that sensation. That's how cool. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah.
4: I mean, just like the complex, like, yeah, just, just ama- just realizing how amazingly complex, just the sense of touches, much less, you know, our sense of smell and sight and so on and so forth. The, the human body is a pretty amazing thing. And the fact that we can kind of even start to approximate that, you know, through a robotics is uh, like, like I was saying, it's just mind boggling.
2: It's also the future source of the robot uprising. Once we give them the ability to feel and <laughs> think and they see what we've done. Oh,
3: you know, there was a great uh, fan theory from uh, now the def- the defunct video site cracked.com. And, That site, one of the editors thought about, you know, it's so weird that like whenever we see these robots, they look very human. You know, they they have that shape and everything like that. They're not constructed, you know, with like extra legs or anything like that. They look extremely human. And then even when you go into the facility where they have to fight the robots, like in Genesis, right, which is a throwaway movie, I hate it, but they still had lighting and all this other stuff. And he said the only thing he could come up with was that originally these were sex robots. And (laughs) that's why they had to be this human and lifelike. And then, then, you know, Skynet took over. It's like, oh, fine, just use the sex robots as the assassins. God damn it. Fine. Just whatever. (laughs) And then that's what Biggie 1000 would love today.
2: Hopefully Mr. Fusenager can come to save us. So that's it for... For uh, the articles this week, but it's been a while since we've done a, a just the tip, and I believe that a couple of us have upcoming trips. So, Jean, you want to tell us where you headed in the near future?
4: Yeah. So, um, I am planning on a I'm planning on ringing in my my upcoming birthday in the Maldives, and part of the reason why I went was um because I mean the geek in me just has to you know has to it it just kind of won out for me. I am dying to see some bioluminescence, um, and the Maldives are very well known for having some this um, this phenomenon of bioluminescence, which is caused by these uh, phytoplankton. Um, you know, time to time, they'll be in the water, and it um, and you'll see waves crashing, and all of a sudden, this bright blue flash comes up, or you'll see people walking in the sand, you know, where there's water, and the their footprints will light up bright blue because of these little phytoplankton that, um, you know, will, will light up. So I am just crossing my fingers that I'll be able to see this, this, uh, this phenomenon while I'm in the Maldives, but also put it, you know, I'm just sticking my toes in this pristine white sand and this beautiful clear blue water and, and, you know, snorkeling and hopefully seeing, you know, whale sharks and so on and so forth is also a a big pool, a big pull. And then the other thing is that these, uh, the Maldives, It's a, um, this arc, this large archipelago, but, um, it's in the middle of the Indian ocean. And apparently, um, it's thought that maybe with the rising of, uh, the sea levels that maybe in some years, I don't know exactly how long, uh, it may not be completely around, um, you know, due to rising sea levels and so on and so forth. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm hoping to go.
2: And there'll be just a big glowing patch of ocean to give rise to new Bermuda Triangle stories.
4: I hope so. There. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's, ex- you know, totally.
2: <laughs> Very nice. Santosh, do you have any trips coming up? Maybe, I don't know, Iowa, Omaha.
3: <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to stand for your mocking anymore. I, I am. I'm in fact going to Racine, Wisconsin, uh, and then Milwaukee, Wisconsin for my little brother's wedding. Um, that's all I will say about that.
2: And what are you, what are you going to do in Wisconsin? You know, when you're not attending your brother's wedding, any particular places you would send people or recommend they go?
3: So I actually, you know, Josh, I, uh, do you, did you ever go to that little tiny spot in Kenosha to study? We used to go up there. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and recommend this spot. If, if you guys are saying you're North of Chicago, right? So we, we went to school, all of us, all the three of us at Rosalind Franklin. It's in North Chicago, which is not the north part of Chicago. It is a different suburb. <laughs> north Chicago is in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I'm talking about sub-sub-suburbs. Um, you are close to the Wisconsin border, and your surrounding landmarks are Gurney, where they have the beautiful Gurney Mills Mall. If you just cross the Wisconsin border, uh, just going north of the... Yeah, there's this, there's this little town of Kenosha. Oh, I know what you're talking about.
4: With the cheese castle? <laughs> um,
2: but you are, you are correct that the cheese castle is also near there.
3: I'm not going
4: as far as cheese castle.
3: This is really, this is the Woodman's uh, uh, grocery store. And it's so goofy that in the middle of nowhere, you know, you all of a sudden have this grocery store where you can buy a bunch of ethnic food Indian food, Southeast Asian food um, and actually get it. And it's so good that even there are some people from, you know, that little outskirts of Chicago that'll leave Chicago where you can find pretty much anything that you want and go up there and go to shop there. There's an awesome little Starbucks there that's run by basically the high school students of the local high school um, and if you go there to sit and study for a few hours, like your third drink's going to be free because they're super, super nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And I met all kinds of fun people there. Uh, and I, I studied for hours and hours and hours on end because it's quiet and you get free coffee. And yeah, I, I credit that little Starbucks in Kenosha, Wisconsin with passing medical school because it gave me a, a refuge where i could study them
4: i mean i'm just saying there's a place called the cheese castle in wisconsin and how can you not go to the Cheese?
2: johnny cash and vice president joe biden who all have stopped at the store have left like autographed <laughs> photos and have purchased their own cheese wow. head hats so oh wow so get your ethnic food get your cheese and then head to the maldives
4: uh yeah in that order totally i mean
2: right <laughs> In that specific order. and th- If you do the
3: Maldives first, then you're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed by Wisconsin. Yeah.
2: And uh, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. <laughs> you're not wrong. The... <laughs> Oh, gosh, I can't even keep it. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from all my co-hosts. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, you can find links to do that in the show notes, as well as links to all the different stories we talked about tonight. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, happy travels.
4: See you later. No, no lollipop.